Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to Revive the Drive. My name is Daniel Bennett, and with me today are Art Georges and Rich Burkle. And guys, today we're talking about the question, what does it mean to be saved? And as we talk about that question, I think there's a lot of other questions that that go with that, that uh, overarching theme. Whenever I was in college, I worked at a Christian bookstore, and my boss and I were talking one day about our salvation, and and he, he said, you know, I... I have a real appreciation of, of what a great sinner I am. And I, I agreed with him. I said, yes, uh, I also have an appreciation of what a great sinner you are. But, you know, isn't it, isn't it true that we don't really understand the depth of our own depravity? He goes, no, I, I think I really under, I mean, I really think I'm a bad person. I said, no, I, I really think you're a bad person too. But I think even still, we don't understand the, the depth of our own depravity. As we understand more and more the depth of our depravity, I think we can also understand uh, what God has saved us from and the riches of the salvation that he offers us through faith in his son, Jesus. And so as we talk today about God's wrath and, and what we've been saved from, there's kind of three questions I want us to ask as we think about this overarching question about what does it mean to be saved, what have we been saved from? Uh, the first question, guys, that I was thinking through as I thought about this overarching question of what have we been saved from, what does it mean to be saved, is uh, why would anyone experience God's wrath? Why does God pour out his wrath in the first place? It's a great question. I think uh, oftentimes we think that God would pour out his wrath because men do bad things, but the problem is deeper than sin, uh, the sinfulness of mankind. In Romans chapter 1, Daniel, uh, the Apostle Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, and then it says what they do, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So essentially, that chapter goes on to chronicle how mankind has corrupted the knowledge of God and replaced the true and living God with idols, uh, idols that they've created or uh, part of God's created order that they have supplanted him with as their own idols. And so it's because we have uh, denied God, not only uh, denied his existence in some cases, but even when we recognize he exists, uh, mankind has also denied his rightful authority over us as our God and sovereign. Yeah, and, and sin, as you've pointed out, Art, is, is more than an action. It is an action. It's a transgression of the law of God, and that's, of course, when we think about sin, we automatically have to go back to the garden story and, and remember how God created a man to be in perfect fellowship with him and to enjoy the, the blessings of his creation and of God's goodness. And, and yet God told him, the day you eat of this fruit, you'll die, and that was the one law that God gave to that first couple, and they broke it. Um, so it is transgression, but it's more than an outward act as well. It's a, it's an attitude of the heart 
toward God. It's a it's an attitude that says, um, I, I believe that I have the right to decide for myself how to live and to be free from submitting to your authority. And ultimately, of course, it's a, a great offense against God because it's a denial of his glory. You know, Daniel, when you mentioned about your friend who uh, um, said that he felt like he thoroughly understood the depth of his depravity, uh, one reason why we can't really understand the depth of our own depravity is because we don't understand the height of God's holiness. His mm-hmm. holiness is mm-hmm. infinite. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's our, our sin is so great only as it's connected to the holiness of God, only as it's in reference to God's uh, perfection in person. So as we think about that question, why would God brought his wrath? It, it goes back to his glory and, and his holiness. And as you see in Revelation 18, it's kind of interesting contrasting Revelation 18 with Revelation 19. In Revelation 18, God's wrath is, is poured out on and, on Babylon, and uh, the way that people respond to it is with mourning. Uh, the kings of the earth, who commit, this is verse 9, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They'll stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And so whenever fallen mankind sees God's wrath poured out, there's there's a sorrow not over sin, but over the loss of opportunity to continue in sin. Whereas in the next chapter, Revelation 19, what what's the response of heaven to God's wrath? Verse 19, uh, verse 1 of chapter 19 says, After this I heard what seemed to be a, the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And so God has to pour out his wrath. There has to be an expression of his holiness as he deals with with sin. That's right. The Old Testament uh, in the book of Habakkuk said, that God was too holy, too pure, his eyes were too pure to look upon sin with approval. Mm. And we often think that God in his love should be able to sweep his wrath under the carpet uh, for some reason or other because he loves us. Um, But his holiness uh, requires, dictates that he pour out his wrath. That's good. And I would say even his goodness requires his his dealing with sin in, in that kind of a fashion. You know, if we think about heaven... One of the joys about heaven is that sin is not there. Mm, mm-hmm. There is no evil, there is no crime, there is no no effects of sin. And why is that? It's because God has judged sin once and for all. And and so the issue is, uh, if sin is attached to our person, then God must judge sin in order to eliminate sin from the future. Mm. And and so his, his his very goodness requires him dealing in such a strong way with sin as well. Okay. Well, you've. You said something there a little bit concerning, perhaps, for some people. You said if sin is attached to our person, yep. who, who is in line of God's wrath? That's kind of the, the second question I want us to think about as we think about what does it mean to be saved? What are we saved from? God pours out his wrath on sin. Who, who's in line for experiencing God's wrath then? Well, we are. You know, All of us who are in Adam, You know, not only because we sin, but because we are also... Uh, uh, heirs of of that punishment of of that uh, guilt of of our first parents Adam and Eve uh, we are 
have sin attached to us, both by birth and nature, but also by our practice then. And and so that creates the big problem for us, isn't it? <laughs> that mm-hmm. is the big mm-hmm. problem, because if we are to experience God's goodness eternally, then something must happen to the sin that is connected to our own soul. Right, and that's so important, uh, what you've said, Rich, about uh, connected to Adam, and, and especially in our nature. We come forth... Uh, as as children of Adam, uh, by nature fallen, uh, rebellious against God, and as Ephesians chapter 2 says, children of wrath by nature, and that nature needs to be changed. Art, you begin our conversation by quoting from Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness by men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so some people might think, yeah, the those unrighteous people are really going to get it, and that is what should happen. But Romans goes on to say uh, that, that all of us fall into that category of unrighteous. In the ne- next part of chapter 1, it talks about how the person who has uh, who's ever been born and had the ability to process and, and see natural revelation is without excuse. Uh, we see in Romans chapter 2 that the moralist is without excuse. We Verse 2 of Romans 2 says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do themselves, do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And he goes on and talks about how the, the Jew is going to experience God's wrath. And really in, in Romans 3, we see that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory mm-hmm. of God. And all of us uh, need to be saved. All of us need yeah. salvation. And that's an important point. Um, you know, I, I think there's something inside... Uh, of man that that re- rejoices that God does deal with sin, mm-hmm. and we we certainly see certain people that we're thankful God is going to deal with. You know, we think of uh, history's great evil dictators. You know, you think of a, a Joseph Stalin or an Adolf Hitler or, or many others who who created so much suffering for so many people. And you think, yes, you know, there is a judgment day for such ones. Um, but we don't put ourselves in the same category of uh, of people who deserve really God's righteous response, and uh, and yet that's exactly where uh, God places us. I I often will take people to Romans three when we're talking about this issue, and and in Romans three uh, ten and following it says there is none righteous, no not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. They've together become profitable. And then it says, there is none who does good, not even one. And uh, after reading those verses, I'll ask the person, well, tell me, what does that say? And um, often the person comes back and says, well, that says that we're not perfect. <laughs> and I'll say, well, wait a minute, let's, let's read that again. We read that again, and I'll say, what does it say? You know, And it says, well... What does it say about who does good? Mm-hmm. It says, none of us does good. I said, do you think you've done good in your life? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I said, well, what does the Bible say about that? <laughs> it says, well, it says we haven't. And, you know, it's it's very interesting that, that those uh, scriptures uh, God uses often to reveal that, no, we really are in that category of people who have not done good. 
And we don't like think of that because we typically have a reference point of other people. So yeah. in comparison to other people, mm. we've done good in right. this world. But God's reference point is himself. Is himself. And, and that's the big issue for us to consider. It's the holiness of God again that right. makes this issue of salvation so important. Yeah. Even the Apostle Paul, who was very spiritual and uh, religious before his conversion, uh, says we too, including himself, were uh, formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So uh, even one of the most spiritual people prior to his conversion admitted that he was evil enough to incur God's wrath. God pours out his wrath against sin. All of us are sinners. All of us stand before God as, as sinners. And, uh, you know, tagging on to something you said, Rich, sometimes people, I, th- I think, view sin as a, there's like a bunch of rules out there in the universe. And they say, okay, well, I need to keep all these rules in the universe. And, and I keep some of them, so I've done some good things. But really the standard of righteousness is God himself. And anything we think or say or do that's contrary to his being is, is a violation of, of his, his holiness. So we've all, all, every person listening to this falls under condemnation for their sin. So the big question then, what does it mean to be saved? What, are, what, are we, what do we need to be saved from? And, and, how, and what is a person being saved from? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, as we think about the big problem being sin, then salvation is being delivered from sin. And, and that's a, such a full idea, isn't it? I mean, uh, to, to think that we would be free from the punishment of sin, that's huge to think about that. But also from sin's guilt, its psychological effects upon our soul, its, its uh, effect of robbing us of a joyful relationship with God, of being able to experience the glory of God. And so... Uh, so salvation includes all of those things, uh, the ability to, to have a life that experiences the joy of the Garden of Eden again, mm. where we're liberated from sin's punishment, from sin's effects upon our lives, and from sin's presence. And, and that is awesome to think about how God has provided this salvation for us. Jesus said to Nicodemus, right, uh, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, to see heaven. And uh, so it's this new birth which implies being saved, saved from God's wrath, but also having our nature changed, uh, having a transformed nature. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus that uh, he must be born uh, of water and of the Spirit, and I think he alludes back to the Old Testament passages that spoke of the New Covenant, uh, to be partakers of the Spirit, to be cleansed of our sins, and uh, so uh, the way that we avoid this wrath is by being born again, wherein we're cleansed, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we receive a new nature, so that as Rich said, we live in the fullness of our freedom. Jesus said, if, if you believe in me, I'll set you free. Yeah, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2, we were dead. We were dead as we were in line of God's wrath and our trespasses and sin. And then uh, verse 4 of Ephesians 2 says that God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And so salvation is passing from death, being under that judgment of God, and receiving life, being reconciled to God. And that's how Peter describes it as well in First Peter 3. Christ suffered, 
once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so there's a deliverance Mm -hmm. from God's wrath and a reconciliation to God. So that's what it means to be saved. And next next, uh, session together, we're going to look at uh, how is one saved. So let's let's go ahead and close with with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the, the salvation that you offer us. We recognize that we don't deserve salvation. We deserve your wrath. We deserve to be eternally separated for you, from you. And so we thank you for the life that you offer us through faith in your son Jesus. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.